0: on this episode of the LP, Literature in Practice.
1: The analogy to food, it always starts with the planning. And so that chef who meal plans, like they think about, you know, how am I going to best serve this meal, right? And so as we think about serving educational equity for accelerated learning, the first question we wanna say is, how am I going to serve these students? We start with the meal planning and just that prepping and that prioritizing for educational equity
0: the food that enters us guides us it can guide us physically emotionally intellectually and spiritually so while it can certainly be challenging it's probably important for us to be strategic about what foods we ingest and the foods we serve guiding our well-being and the well-beings of those who we serve in education are the ideas and practices we ingest and cater for others to ingest as well. I got a chance to build with Dr. Sonia Murray Darden and discuss her book, Serving Educational Equity, a five course framework for accelerated learning. Join us as we discuss practical and essential ways our education systems can serve a diet of and hunger for grade level engaging, affirming and meaningful instruction. This is the LP. Greetings, folks and fam of all walks and talks to the LP podcast, Literature and Practice, where we take a look at texts and practices that encourage student instruction to be more grade level, engaging, affirming, and meaningful. Today's guest is none other than Sonia Murray Darden, who is the co-author, along with Gwendolyn Y. Turner, of the seminal book, Serving Educational Equity, a five-course framework for accelerated learning. Uh, Dr. Murray Darden is the CEO of Equity Matters, an organization dedicated to ensure every child reaches their full academic and social potential through tailored, transformational, accelerated approaches to instruction, curriculum, and data strategy. That's a lot, y'all. (laughs) go see her. She is also a Missouri Leadership Development Specialist at Education Plus as an award-winning veteran educator and leadership coach with over 25 years of broad experience as an author, researcher, principal, staff developer, reading interventionist, and former teacher of the year. She leverages her years of experiences to help educators provide students with meaningful grade-level access. Dr. Murray Darden has earned a doctorate in Teaching and learning and advanced degrees in educational administration, elementary education, and reading. And her latest co authored book is this book we're about to talk about right now. Ladies and gentlemen, folks a fan of Family Wall Walks and Talks, please welcome Sonia Murray Darden. How are you, Dr. Murray Darden? <laughs> I am wonderful. Thank
1: you so much, Brandon White, for that amazing introduction. I appreciate it. You truly know how to. Pull your guest in. I can see that. Oh,
0: I so thank that. You. The first question I want to ask you, before we get into anything about serving educational equity, I want to learn what was your favorite text as a kid, adolescent, or adult?
1: Yeah. So, you know, when you provided me that question, it was a little challenging to find. And I will tell you, I read all the Judy Bloom books uh tales of fourth grade nothing
0: yeah
1: uh that's really what i read and i would later learn that um early on uh as far as like rich diverse texts they just didn't exist Mm. uh as i was growing up right but i will tell you later on in college i was exposed to invisible man yeah by Ralph ellison oh my goodness he was clearly ahead of his time he was because that book it was transformative then, but it truly speaks to um, a lot of what I see in, in, in education and a lot of what I see uh, personally now.
0: That was my favorite book as an adolescent. I have to spend some time rereading it. It was a book that let me know that I could actually read something really long if I really care about it. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree.
1: Yeah, I revisited a lot. That, that's one of my favorite,
0: favorite books. Yeah, no, it's powerful stuff. So let's talk about your book a bit. Who is your book designed for and why is it designed for them?
1: We wrote this book for principals, classroom teachers, teachers in training, instructional leaders, uh, curriculum supervisors, teacher, educators, and parents. We wanted everyone to have an entry point to serving educational equity for students. And we also wanted people to connect otherwise uh non-connected concepts. Hmm. And so we chose the menu analogy yeah. to do so because we wanted people to see that as you're accelerating students' learning and you're considering the needs of the whole child, you also have to think about relationships that are being built. I think about your core curriculum. You wanna think about how you're planning and you need to fully see the student, including how you're going to use technology, and you're going to use all these different, seemingly different uh courses or ideas to support students to reach their full academic and social potential. Yeah. And it came to me, of course, serving a meal is very similar to connecting these seemingly isolated concepts.
0: You know, this idea around accelerated learning of being a through line throughout that food serving framework I saw to be thought to be very powerful, especially for this yes. time where we're so focused on making sure that the learning gaps and the uh, teaching gaps that existed pre-COVID are are attended to, but then that are also worsened by COVID or attended to. I think that is super important. And so I want to talk to you a bit about accelerated learning. That concept is basically marrying where students are academically where they need to be in their particular uh, grade, in order to make sure that they leave K twelve in a prepared for college and career and, and things beyond those two things. What are the important differences between acceleration and remediation, and how do you convince a teacher to accelerate when so many of their students are performing well below grade level?
1: Yes. So I'm so happy you asked me that question because I think that's where it starts. It starts with building some common language around first understanding that remediation often focuses on those, like drilling students on those isolated skills that bear little resemblance to what they're learning right now in real time, right? And there's a remediation myth. TNTP called that out for us, right? Prior to the pandemic, they let us know that you know, And many times students are doing what they need to do in schools only to learn that they're not being provided grade-level content, grade-level access, and grade-level exposure. And so remediation by itself, many people would think, well, hey, the student is not on level. Let me go back and give them some isolated skills to catch them up, right? Yeah. And those skills many times don't. Uh, support them with real-time learning that they need in that grade level. Acceleration, on the other hand, basically says, I'm going to strategically prepare you for the now. I'm going to give you access at grade level, no matter your ability level, meaning I'm going to see you, clearly see you, keep the bar high and do whatever scaffolding I need to do to help you to reach that bar. Uh, I had a teacher to say to me just recently, and it was one of the, the best comments I've heard. She said, it was 2017 when you walked in the space and you told me that my special education students could achieve at grade level and that they should do grade level work. She said, that was the day that my philosophy around teaching changed and my students excelled.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: That's powerful. And that's the idea. So. Uh, it's easy to say these students are so far behind or the, I call it, but not my student's syndrome, right? Yeah, yeah. Instead of embracing or getting caught up in what we perceive their abilities to be, why not give them an opportunity, just a chance? Keep the bar high and scaffold our supports to them around those skills or those areas at grade level. And that's really what this book does. It provides you at the end of every single chapter, some real time strategies that you can try and keep tomorrow. Very practical, very useful. And that's, that's exactly what we wanted to achieve in writing it.
0: Yeah. And very grounded in the facts, because I appreciated you referencing two TNTP reports. One being an opportunity myth around like, you know, what students receive versus what they're capable of. And then the acceleration study they did where it showed that black and brown kids actually did better being accelerated in content than being in remediation for it, even if they were performing below grade level. Right. So helping people see how it's a myth while still speaking to the difficulty, like that's a difficult situation to be in as a teacher, right? You speak to difficulty by providing the truth, but also providing truth and grace with providing, you know, resources and instruction and, and testimony right throughout the book.
1: And so just recognizing and supporting that it is challenging. I think many times we want to name that there's no quick fix, that it is going to take consistent, diligent, dedicated focus and commitment to changing our beliefs, changing our mindset, not just those technical shifts, but the deep adaptive shifts that that will lead to change in a classroom and in a school to help students achieve success. And they're worth it. They're
0: worth it. You know, you bringing that up in terms of like the kind of qualities that are needed to do this work makes you want to ask another question about, uh, another kind of framework you brought up called skill will yes. and thrill. Correct me if I'm wrong. When I say what I believe each one is skill, uh, kind of highlights what a student isn't able to do and what a teacher may need to do to help them, you know, get it. Is that accurate? That's accurate. You're absolutely right. Good. And then will is, um, a student may be able to do it, but isn't doing it. And oh, a teacher yeah. has to, you know, figure out how to provide instruction in that situation. And then thrill is the student knows how to do it, wants to do it. And the teacher has to figure out how to keep up with that to make sure they continually are challenged. You nailed it. That's exactly, <laughs> it. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> <Good>. exactly <laughs> it. Cause whenever I do oh, that, conversation, in <laughs> like if I miss it a little bit, it's like, I'm putting myself on the line right there. So I'm glad I got that.
1: no you knocked it out the park that's exactly it i think um as educators we want to think about how to approach those students right yeah our students who need that that skill right we want to make sure that we provide them those supports at grade level to help them find success and students who are disengaged which is why it's so important to consider the social and the academics, right? Because sometimes students disengage because they're just not connected with the the educator or the person that's providing Mm -hmm. the learning. And so finding ways to engage them and support them, to get to know them. Uh, And then the thrill, we have some students who are just um, breezing through school, right? But we want to be reminded, like, are they truly learning or are they being awarded based on just participation? And so we want to be able to truly see our students in those spaces and provide them with the supports that they need. And that's why I love that 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 model just talking about that skill, will, thrill, because it gives you the supports and the wraparounds to say, OK, how do I best support those students?
0: What do you think that model skill, will and thrill looks like for teachers?
1: Oh, wow, that is true. You know, many times um, teachers can be in the exact same space. I do say all the time um, that the most effective way to move any uh, group of people is by uh, providing and building that skill set and building their capacity. And that's that alongside work. So you may have some teachers in the space who, uh, and principals too, who just need some support, some alongside mentoring or alongside coaching around some key skill areas, right? I do believe everybody is trying their best and they're trying to make a difference, but they just may need some specific tips and strategies and pedagogical approaches to advance. And then you have uh, some, uh, some people who are losing some motivation and losing the will it's a hard time in teaching and learning right now, right? Wow. And so just acknowledging that and providing those small, simple wins and letting people know that you see them and you're willing to support them can increase the will. And then, of course, you have those um, teachers who are just uh, thriving. But in th- this time, we still want to make sure that so their social, emotional needs are still being met and that they also feel recognized and seen. So I think it applies
0: for both educators and students. One of my favorite leadership tools that you bring up in the book is the SWOT analysis, uh, which is strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats. Right. Um, What are common strengths, weaknesses and opportunities and threats for systems and schools that want to improve educational equity?
1: Yes. So I absolutely love the swan as well. I'm so happy you called that out. Yeah. Um I see a lot of schools saying we have good relationships with students. We love the students, right? I see that as a strength all the time. But a typical weakness typically is, yes, even though we love them, are we loving them to failure? Right. And so there may be some weaknesses also in like the culture or the behavior, uh, partly because um, many times schools are seeing those uh, the academics and the social components separately. Right. And so as opportunities, I typically help them to say, okay, how can we uh, change our um, mindset and our thoughts around connecting uh, the social emotional work? And also the academics so that we help this whole child to thrive in schools. And of course, the threat is always the looming shutdown. And sometimes they will say um, some schools will say that um, finding ways to get parents involved Mm -hmm. uh, and become a, uh, a threat. And so what we typically do is we take those opportunities and we turn them into strengths and we talk about, okay, how do we really get into the work in a tailored way to help you find success
0: for your school i appreciate that because so often we tell teachers to look at things from an asset-based lens not a deficit and or things that may not be strengths or are potential deficits and perform an alchemy of turning that into you know an asset you we, we tell teachers to do this all the time but System leaders and coaches may not always do that with their teachers or with their systems, right? So yeah. that, that's awesome that you, you all have that uh, lens. And shout outs again to your co-author, Gwendolyn Turner, who yeah. I know also put her foot in this book for sure. <laughs> uh, I thank her for her work on all this awesome gem droppage as well. I want to ask you a bit about the five course framework. And as somebody who uh, likes to eat, I appreciate <laughs> uh, the, the the framework being one based in food <laughs> um i i did have a, a question though about how do you navigate and this is kind of an extension of what i asked about the swat in terms of uh, weaknesses and threats but mm-hmm. how do you navigate the ability to kind of embrace the five course framework mm-hmm. especially when systems can have their own proverbial like eating disorders so often uh, a system will like take in a curriculum or take in a consulting group to help fix things And then they might just vomit it right back out. Right. Or they won't they won't do anything for a really long time. They won't intake anything for a really long time. And then they'll binge eat a program or systemic support. And it's just too much in in one sitting and it's overwhelming. So like, how do how have you been able to navigate these kind of things?
1: Great question. Um, And so that's why, you know, the analogy to food. I also am a foodie. So yeah, have that in common. <laughs> so I will say it always starts with the planning. And so that chef who meal plans, yeah. like they think about, you know, how am I going to best serve this meal, right? And so as we think about serving educational equity for accelerated learning, the first question we want to say is, how am I going to serve these students? How am I going to make sure that I can accelerate their learning? and uh, even before we get to the SWAT, we talk about the circle of control, shout out to Stephen Covey, right? Yeah, yeah. Covey's work. Yeah. Where we talk about, okay, I can worry a lot about the things that I can't control, but the power clearly is in, uh, me thinking about what it is that I truly can't control. I can control my mood. I can control my own beliefs. I can have influence on other people and what they think. But ultimately, I need to control how I show up and how I'm impacting teaching and learning. So back to that framework, that's where we start. We start with the meal planning and just that prepping and that prioritizing for educational equity. And then we go into relationships because I have to, um, I think it was... um, was definitely Dr. Comer, James Comer, who said, no significant learning can occur without a significant relationship. And so I have to think about, okay, how am I building and making connections with my students so that they want to learn? And that's really like my course one, my soup course, and then my course two is my appetizer where I'm saying, okay, let me make sure I'm looking at the data and using the data and also the curriculum Just like as an appetizer, I'm sampling the different opportunities and entry points that will be most beneficial to the students that I'm supporting. The salad, I have to see each of them. They're all different, but just like a salad, right? Every single uh, piece of that salad needs to combine in order for it to be flavorful. That's right. Just like all of my students need to bring their own individual personalities and genius is what we call it, right? Yeah uh to that space and that entree is like that's what we're talking about that core learning where we're talking about productive struggle how am i using those real-time great appropriate resources to help students find success and the last one is the technology that i typically start with but too much of it will make you sick like that dessert right yep. but <laughs> in technology too mm-hmm. letting technology replace high quality teaching and learning uh, it can never be a, replace for a replacement for that, and so we want to use technology only as an enhancement to teaching and learning. And so that's the connection. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I got, I got a little bit of a tangent question. If, if, if it's okay to ask, yeah, um, yes, because you do, you do announce a situated uh, appreciation for technology mm-hmm. with everything going on in the advancement of artificial intelligence. How do you see? its role in this framework in terms of, uh, technology being used? What's the SWOT analysis of AI in education as you see it come oh, on? Oh,
1: <laughs> such a great question. Um, I believe that it is making us uncomfortable, but in a good way. Yeah, Because no longer can you just, uh, even at the higher education level, you can't just, um, assign a, uh, a paper. Right? Now it's making us be a lot more creative about how we're providing assignments, how we are getting people to think. I think the goal has always been to encourage um, creativity, to encourage innovation, and to encourage that productive struggle. So in my opinion, I think that we can use AI. We can use those tools to get people to really think in a complex and a robust way. So. For that, again, it, it it truly supports even my framework in that uh, we should let it be an enhancement to the already high quality teaching and learning that happens and not a replacement of
0: it. It's always refreshing to hear people talk about it in a way where, because I'm so used to the narrative being AI can make it hard for students to be accountable for their own creative output, yeah. but really... That as true as that can be, but it also can make acting provide guardrails around instructors' creative output, or or hold them accountable, yeah. making sure not like do this paper, make it 250 words. Exactly. And, which there's a place for that, right? But <laughs> right. like just making sure that it's it's actually a little bit more engaging and interactive and meaningful. AI makes it harder to kind of phone it in with an assignment right it Um, makes us
1: reach those higher levels like it just truly does it makes us think about okay how can i provide uh activities that will cause people to think and show some innovation and some creativity right the engagement to me it truly is holding everybody accountable to making sure that we're getting students to critically think
0: and the last couple questions, I want to take it back to your walk as like an educator in systems. You mentioned early in the book that you have a mentor and have had a mentor. How important is mentorship in achieving educational equity?
1: Oh, my goodness. Mentoring is everything because uh, we have those mental models and we have those um, just those situations that creep up consistently and they're comfortable. So we go back to those typically, almost like on autopilot, right? And so having a mentor and someone that holds that mirror up in front of you and reminds you that this is what you said you wanted to achieve, right? Yeah. This is, These are your goals. And so in a gentle way, just reminding you to stay focused on what it is that you want to achieve. I always say that um, we typically don't, rise to the level of our goals we fall to the level of our habits and our systems (laughs) so having that mentor that's that person right alongside you who can consistently hold you accountable but in a gentle way and in an encouraging way and in a motivating way um because again adaptive change takes time that's right and it's it's hard (laughs) that's right it is
0: yeah time time and honesty So I want to I want to ask another question before we ask our closeouts. One of your students as a classroom teacher um, was a young unarmed black man who was killed in Ferguson and his death sparked national outrage and activism. Can you share how that personally impacted you and your walk as an educator?
1: Oh, absolutely. So I thought I had a why (laughs) before that experience, but his tragedy, uh, purely transformed my why, because, you know, as the world saw him in this, uh, dimly lit perception of what they saw in the media, what I knew was that he loved math and he had graduated eight days before he was shot and killed. Right. And, uh, he basically had graduated, uh, from you know from high school and he was going to go to uh, a technical school following that right and so the way it changed my walk and my why is that what we do as educators matters when we kneel down next to them and we have conversation that either elevates their experiences or hinders them from achieving whatever goal they want college or career later I remind educators consistently that our interactions and our beliefs our mindset, it all matters. His death would spark uh, quite a bit of um, a, a major uprising and unrest in our community, which to me uh, really reminds educators uh, at every level and all of us, even non-educators, that those external factors show up in the space and they show up in the classroom. And so we have to be mindful of the whole child and how we're supporting the whole child what happens outside of the learning space and what happens inside
0: yeah that's so true when i when i got into education and i became a teacher like it took a couple years maybe like a two or three to really realize like (sighs) thinking about getting them through the graduation process was really important but everything after because like in a lot of cases like even if it was a challenge you know getting through k-12 some of the same structures and people aren't there and there are all these other environmental aspects that have to be navigated as a quote-unquote adult even though you're only 18 19 17 in some cases right um and and it's just a lot and so I would talk to you know a graduating student about like you know Continue to network with people who have always had your back because it's it's gonna it's not gonna necessarily be easier because you you know finish K twelve. In fact, it may be harder in, in many regards. So, yeah. Now I'm sorry for your loss. I'm mean, I'm sorry for the loss of your community. Yeah, no, I'm I'm truly sorry, and I and I, I hope healing continues because I healing is gonna be something that will take place for a very very long time.
1: Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. And so, you know, the soul principles, you know, Dr. Linda Darling-Hammond who uh, also endorsed our book, but just the soul principles really talks about the importance of that, um, of building those relationships, of having that environment, looking holistically, like it's we use it as really like the basis of our framework. And it's because she really talks about, and there's science behind the fact that we also have to build relationships with students if we're going to accelerate their learning.
0: You mean relationships and rigor are uh, can be connected? I didn't, wow. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. right, yes. Yeah. yes, yes, yes. Wow, yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's interesting to see that still operate as a binary uh, sometimes yeah. in some places, I know. but I'm, I'm glad you're doing the work to help people see uh, that, that doesn't have you. to be. And Dr. Murray, thank you so much for being on Two final questions. How does your tech help support folks who want to make instruction more grade level, engaging, affirming and meaningful for students?
1: Yes. So it gives them teachers are very busy. Everybody's busy, not even just teachers, all educators and parents are busy. And so my text will give you our text will give you uh, accessibility and it will give you those resources at your fingertips high-quality resources at your fingertips that you can use and follow up on in real-time when you're needing support around how to better have relationships with your students, when you're thinking about how can I best use technology, when you're thinking about, okay, how do I provide that core instruction for students to help them find success, and then how do I plan for this? How do I even begin to plan for accelerated learning? Uh, We provided a comprehensive look at educational equity uh, as you think about accelerating student learning and you don't have to go and search for all these resources in different places. Like you shared a second ago, you said you kind of got in there and saw those resources and started looking there. And that's what we wanted. We wanted it to be in one comprehensive book.
0: For sure, yeah, no. E- educators, y'all probably spend like so much of your time just digging through those resources. Because I was researching the for, through the book for preparing for the interview. I was like, oh, what's this? What's that? What's it? Like, yeah, definitely <laughs> added like another good fifty percent of time. <laughs> um, so thank you, Dr. Murray Darden, again. Thank you, and thank you again to Miss Turner for also co-authoring this book, serving educational equity. Um, is there a final quote from the book that you would like to close us out with?
1: Yeah, and uh, sorry uh, Gwen couldn't be here uh, with us today, but I'll close with um, two quick quotes. One is, um, whatever you are not changing, you're choosing. Mm. And so uh, that definitely is in our book because uh, it just really helps educators to pause and to think about that we do actually have the power to make the change. It's just if we're willing to do all the work that it takes to do so. And again, you have those resources, This resource that can be a major support. And the second one is a quote from um, Dr. James Comer that says, um, no significant learning can occur without a significant relationship. And so this five-course framework can truly help educators to see the connection between uh, building relationships and really that social, emotional student well-being component yeah. and academic rigor.
0: Yeah. Well, Dr. Murray Darden, thank you so much for dropping those last gems. Um, if you want to check out more gems, please uh, purchase or borrow or find um, Don't Steal um, Serving Educational <laughs> Equity, a five course framework for accelerated learning Thank you again so much, uh, Dr. Sonia Murray-Darden. Where can they find you, by the way? Um, uh, Social media, websites, like uh, let the folks know what you got going on.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm definitely on uh, all social media. Uh, Just go to info at equitymattersconsulting.org.
0: This spin of the LP with Dr. Sonia Murray-Darden left me with a few things to reflect on and process, and I often reflect process through poetry, so during this season, I'll be exercising that practice more often. These Kids Can't is the original cancel culture. An acceleration can reverse such a curse faster than you can say skill, will, thrill, but as challenging as saying it five times fast while wearing the standard issue school district mouth bit. There's strength in owning our parcels. There's weakness in ignoring land owed. There's opportunity in farming technology, but threats in thinking it replaces souls. From farm to table, we can cater. All things organic, free-range, and sustainable. As long as we fast from our diet of lies that say education systems aren't changeable. Thank you, Dr. Sonia Murray-Darden, for your time and your book, Serving Educational Equity, a five-course framework for accelerated learning. If you'd like to get more info on this episode's author, the featured text, and how you can apply your newly acquired knowledge in your profession, we got you. Check us out on the LP website at unbounded.org forward slash LP. You can also check us out on social media. Find us on LinkedIn or Facebook, or you can find us on Instagram at LitInPracticePod or Twitter on UnboundedTheLP. On your social or podcast platform, please leave a review and let us know who you'd like for us to interview next. This is Brandon White. Thanks for listening to The LP. Literature in Practice, where we take a look at texts and practices that encourages student instruction to become more grade level, engaging, affirming, and meaningful. Peace in progress.